When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I am your host, Paul Hudrick, and we had a very special guest on today from ESPN, their NBA, one of their NBA color analysts, and that is the great Doris Burke, who joined us to talk a little Sixers Celtics. She will be in town for Game 6. Uh, she'll have the call, and she just kind of got into a little bit of, you know, James Harden and his up-and-down series what she sees from Joelle Embiid so far, what Tyrese Maxey needs to do to get going, and then overall, what the Sixers need to do in order to win the series. So, we'll just get right into it. Okay, and we are here with ESPN Color Analyst for the NBA, and that is the great Doris Burke. Doris, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. This Philly-Boston series has been special. I just got assigned uh, Game 6 for Thursday, so we are... Yeah, we are so ready. Awesome. Um, so I guess we'll get right into it from from your perspective. And obviously, you, you you've you've seen some things. You've been around a minute. Uh, have you ever seen a more kind of volatile playoff series from a player than what we've seen from James Harden? You know, game one and game four just absolutely masterful. Games two and game three, you know, really struggles. Have you ever seen a player kind of just be so up and down in a series? Well, the interesting part of this. Paul, to me, is that while it's not a direct parallel, Anthony Davis has had a similar mm. sort of circumstance occur with the Los Angeles Lakers in, in their Golden State series. The one difference is, obviously, and I said this going back to the first series, like he has been brilliant, Anthony, on the defensive end of the floor in virtually every single game. And so his ability to impact winning with what uh, he is able to bring to the table in terms of defensive dominance has been a factor. So it's really the only semi-parallel I can draw. So I guess my answer really is no. I, I, I can't remember this sort of variance between playoff games. You know, particularly when you sandwich the dominance and mastery of the first game, then the 5-for-28 shooting, and then another 40-piece, including you know, just absolutely critical shots when they absolutely had to have them. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, you know, you wonder, has he, has he figured something out? Um, the, the matchup, the series changed right after game one, Paul, when uh, Jalen Brown decided, okay, we made you comfortable. We allowed you to be comfortable. You got comfortable uh, in game one. And uh, we're going to do everything in our power to, to change that because he knew he had to, right? If you allow James Harden to go for 40, um, you're not going to win the series in all likelihood. So I, I had great respect for Jalen's willingness to pick up, uh, you know, the full 94 feet pressure James and also, you know, sort of make that clock dwindle, make them a little bit uncomfortable as they try to navigate into their offense. So I'm curious now, you know, does Boston change anything, Paul, with the early foul trouble that Jalen Brown experienced, do they perhaps go back to Marcus Smart? 
is Marcus's chest contusion a little less painful than it was? Um, you know, you know this. Um, playoff series are nothing but a series of adjustments from game to game. Sometimes it's not necessarily adjustments, but better execution done at a higher level. Sometimes it is a strategic adjustment. So there's so much in play, and I'm really, really excited for games five and six. So sort of piggybacking off what you're talking about, you know, and it, it, it's like you said, like every game in the playoffs, it just feels like every game feels like its own entity, like its own its own deal. Um, and you're right, like Jalen Brown just was so awesome um, in, in games two and three against James. And then it seemed like the Sixers, Doc Rivers, they made the adjustment to kind of do more, you know, like guard guard screens and, and just get Jalen kind of away from James. Um, sure. And then also, too, kind of to your point, um, you know, Tyrese Maxey maybe bringing the ball up a little bit more to get them into yeah. their offense a little bit faster using his speed and all that. So uh, just, I guess, piggybacking off that with Tyrese Maxey, who is, was so great for the Sixers all year long, has turned into one of the best three-point shooters in the league um, with, with his growth, but struggled all year against the Celtics through four games, has really struggled to find his groove. What have you seen from Maxi? and what, like, I guess what do you think the Celtics have done to kind of quiet him down, and what do you think he needs to do to, to get going? Well, I think the answer is twofold here. You know, part of it is um, I think what Doc did is engage Maxi earlier by – getting him the basketball in transition and letting his speed come into play. And, you know, you wonder, obviously, if the length and athleticism uh, of Boston is having an impact. And even if you're guarding him with, with Malcolm Brogdon, if he can't get to his speed game, then, you know, uh, Malcolm or Marcus or whomever else is checking him, there's a strength aspect to this as well. And one thing I think, one area of growth that I cannot wait to see with Tyrese Maxey, and it's not going to magically ap- appear in this playoff series, although he did make a shot uh, and I sort of semi-smiled, the in-between game, right? That pull-up game is probably one of the last pieces of, of the puzzle for Tyrese Maxey. Um, so I think it's twofold in that, you know, Doc has to help him. And then part of this to me, Paul, and I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know if you agree or not, but part of this is this is part of the process of a young player coming to grips with what the playoffs are. There is an increased level of physicality. There is a greater attention to detail from your opponent as it relates to the scout. They hone in on what you don't do well and say, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to try to take away your transition where you were so elite and effective. If you look at his field goal percentage in transition, Tyrese was, was you know, ranked very high. Um, and so if we can take away that speed aspect in transition and we can force you into your mid-range game where, you know, your pull-up game isn't as strong as your three or your at-the-rim game, um, you know, that's going to happen and that's part of the process. And that, to me, is the fascinating aspect of this series I loved, and forgive me, Paul. I can I can go. So I, I yeah, get on a little please do. <laughs> but like, I I loved Doc Rivers' reference to emotional terrorism, and I thought when when the Sixers relinquished the lead, that they were tested right there. That's gut check time, and you are either going to respond or you are not, and you know. Doc has talked about sort of the process of learning how to get over the hump in the playoffs. That growth, that step they took in game four to me is monumental. And does that elevate their confidence as the series goes forward? 
the the other thing I'm really curious about, and you don't always get a chance to to get this into a broadcast, right? So sometimes I go back and I'm thankful for Sling because I can I can access all kinds of things, you know, via that app. Um, it might be you know just watching a game where a hotel room doesn't have Sling, uh, doesn't have TNT. Uh, you know, or NBA TV, and I can access that via my Sling app on my on my iPad. But one of the things when 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 I go back, like that, I never got to say in that game was, okay, so Al Horford did that extraordinary job defensively against um, Joel, right? He blocked him three times. There's a point at which Mark Jones said to me, Doris, it, you know, I don't know about you, but it feels to me like perhaps Al has gotten to Joel, and and. One of the things I said, I, my my first response was 100%. I think that's clear because there seemed to be some indecision with Joel that you don't typically see. And so, um, but one thing I wondered after the game as I sat in traffic on my way out of <laughs> was, you know, Joel, given that Al blocked him three times, right, you wonder, number one, about the lift, and number two, um when you are not, as an athlete, when you are not 100% completely confident in your body, does that put any measure of doubt? Now, I don't expect that to happen again. Joel is the MVP for a reason. Um, but that was one aspect that I couldn't touch on, sort of like, because I watched Paul. I watched Joel. We were standing in front of our broadcast position prior to the game, and I watched Joel warming up. And, and there were moments as he's going through his pregame routine where he kind of tossed the ball back to the coach that was warming him up. And he needed a minute. And he needed a minute to sort of like massage that knee and sort of, you know, keep loose. And I, you just wondered throughout the course of that game was, you know, the situation with the knee having impact on his confidence. And I don't mean confidence in his game. I mean confidence in his body. Right, and I think that's a totally fair assessment. And I, I love that you brought up, you know, with Tyrese Maxey, I think people almost forget this guy's 22 years old. Um, and and, and they're, they're asking him to fill this huge role next to two guys who are, quite frankly, going, going to be Hall of Famers one day. Um, and so it's it's a lot to ask, and especially, you know, and Doc has mentioned this several times that, you know, it's when you're him and you have to kind of thread that needle of, okay, now I need to be aggressive and now I need to step back and let Joel and James do their thing, kind of figuring that out. So, I mean, not only is he dealing with kind of what you talked about of just having to be a young guy in the playoffs and figuring that part out, but then he also has that on top of it of playing next to those two guys. Um, and you mentioned Joel and, and I agree. I, I think, I think there's a, there's, you know, maybe a, a fitness issue is, is definitely probably a part of that. Um, because Al, uh, listen, and Al has, did such a stellar job um, when Joel was younger. But I think as we've seen, as they've kind of, you know, as Al, as Joel has gotten better and as Al has gotten a little older, um, Joel has been able to find ways to beat him. And th so it was pretty surprising. And I think to your kind of your earlier point too, like when I saw Al, you know, hit a big three, get those blocks, and dunk, and you're thinking like, uh oh, like he, he kind of here we go again with the Sixers team. Um, so I, I agree with you. That was such a big kind of monumental moment. And and I'm sure you saw it and talked about it on the broadcast. Um, but, you know, the, the moment with P.J. Tucker, where P.J. Tucker hit, gets the putback, doesn't even worry about the free throw he's about to sink. He goes right after Joel Embiid and, and gets, you know, gets in his grill and kind of fires him up. Just what have you seen? You know, because like you, you said, there's issues in the past with this team with kind of the toughness and the resiliency 
a guy like P.J. Tucker, like what have you seen him add, um, you know, throughout the season I, and, of course, in the playoffs? I talked about this on the broadcast because I responded right away to the visual of him going over to Joel because clearly Joel was not being as aggressive and assertive as P.J. and probably the staff thought he could be. And, uh, you know, I did hear P.J.'s comments after, and I 100% agree with him. There isn't a good single individual matchup. I know Al did an incredible job on him. And, and you know, the, the Celtics have been able to throw different bodies at Joel. There's been times where Marcus Smart is checking him, including late game. Um, there are times where Grant Williams is getting some minutes, although that is a little bit up and down. I don't think you can guard Joel one-on-one for a full 48-minute game or into overtime. I don't. I believe he is too talented and too good when he is right physically, and and that's obviously something we're going to have to to watch. And you made an excellent point about his conditioning. You do not step away from NBA basketball for two months and then expect to be as well conditioned as you are. Um, you know, without that two-week absence. It's just impossible, and it's and it's brought more sharply into focus, um, Paul, when the playoffs are here and the intensity is taken to a different level. So all of those points are valid. What I saw from P.J., and this is fascinating to me, all year he had reservations about taking the threes that were such a pivotal part of what he did in Houston. And I think part of that is is PJ has not been right physically this year, and that's contributed to some reservation. But what what is noted is you saw Doc lift PJ early in game two for his uh, unwillingness to shoot the basketball, and that went away real quick. You jeopardize a player's minutes, particularly somebody who is as competitive as PJ Tucker, and he's not going to have it. And there's a reason Joel Embiid. Uh, pleaded and begged and made his feelings known that he wanted to add somebody of P.J. Tucker's ilk because there are moments at a playoff series where not only the intellect P.J. brings to the defensive end of the floor, not just the physicality, not just the hustle plays of digging out that monumental offensive rebound, but the being in the ear of a player who might need a little bit of a push in a particular moment. And you have to seize on those moments of leadership and your voice has to be respected enough for you to be heard. And PJ Tucker is that guy. And, uh, and you, you know, he's, he's paid a price to earn all of that. Uh, and it was absolutely critical to, to helping them get over the hump. That's for sure. Right, and that, what I've been saying to people, you know, when I've done various hits or whatever, is you know, you don't sign PJ Tucker to help you win games in January. Like this is this is where you sign PJ Tucker, and this is where he makes his his impact. And I think he's definitely done that. Even in the first round, he he was so good against Brooklyn, uh, earning extra extra possessions, getting and you know get. And I think you know Paul, he's been a great mentor for Paul Reed, who, who's played a vital role um, in those non Embiid minutes, which have been such a big, um, I mean pretty disastrous um, at times for the Sixers uh, previously. Uh, I want to ask, too, about, you know, and I guess all head coaches, right, get heat, and they they know what they sign up for when they get these positions. But Doc Mm -hmm. Rivers has gotten his fair share uh, since he's been in Philly. And um, for me, I mean, you know, it's there's been times where, you know, quite frankly, as just someone who who covers a team, I've been – critical of him but since the the all-star break i think he's done a a pretty darn good job and i think really in the playoffs so far he's he's pressed 
most of the right buttons. Um, so what, what would you, how would you evaluate the job uh, that Doc Rivers has done uh, so far in, in this series, I, I'll say specifically? Listen, I'm not going to hide my bias uh, for Doc Rivers. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> somebody that was with us at ESPN, um, something, somebody who has, um, throughout his tenure as coach in the NBA, whether it was in Boston or with the Clippers, now with the Sixers, um, you know, I'm I'm always sort of in a constant mode of learning the NBA game because it's always evolving. And Doc has always been one of those coaches to open the doors to his practices, answer every question I have. And, um, you know, I think 100% coaches in the NBA understand how tenuous the nature of their job is. You're not getting rid of the players who are making, you know, the, the money they're making, particularly the stars. Um, they know it's a result-oriented business. They know all hands are going to point in their direction when things do not go wrong. I think one of the things I admire most about Doc is, and it's probably because he played in the league, I think Doc has a real uh, feel for what players um, might need to hear in a particular moment. Um, you know, some people, I, you know, I, I sort of saw James' reaction to, to the gospel song Doc sent to yeah. him. Um, but, but there's so much more that goes into coaching than X's and O's. Um, it is having the pulse for all the individuals who make up your roster, including those guys who might be struggling and not playing. You know, Paul Reed, you brought up Paul Reed. Here's a young player um, who, in the game that Joel missed, as you said, produces a double-double. He is learning and growing with every uh, repetition that he gets. Uh, And, you you know, you're hoping for that young man to have a bright future because he's working so hard and in his opportunities getting those chances. But I'll, I'll again reference Grant Williams. Here's a guy on the other side who's in a contract year. Here's a guy who, through the first five games of the playoffs, only played in three in a contract year. And so if you're Paul or if you're Grant Williams, you have to bring a level of professionalism. But the other piece of that is the organization, and in particular the head coach, has got to navigate those moments with those kinds of players. And I do think Doc is is really special at that. Yeah, and I I could say, too, like I can even just just from having, you know, clearly not not known him as long as you have, but but just um, the last couple years that he's been here and, and to be around him, you, you see a difference in him this year compared to past years. And I think that goes back to what you're saying of kind of knowing what your team needs. And I think he felt that his team needed him to kind of um, adjust and, and, and kind of treat them a little different. And I think he's done that. And that's a huge credit to yeah. him. Um, and I think that's a big part of why um, you are seeing some guys have, have success and, and really start to flourish. Uh, Doris, I want to I want to leave you with this last question. If the Sixers win yeah. this series – it will be yeah. because. <laughs> I believe um, it will be because of their ability to do what they have done well when they played well in this series. And I know people are going to think um, it's it's probably James's performance, and you feel like the performance has. You know, his, like, as the, as he goes, they go in this series a little bit. 
But one of the things that impressed me most, and I, I, it's going to be many things, to be honest with you, but one of the things that, that impressed me most has been their defensive pressure on the ball, and not only the pressure on the ball, but the ability to contain the ball. Because Boston, at its absolute best, is a multi-drive and kick team where the ball is flying from side to side and it's hopping amongst the players and they're generating all those open, back-breaking threes. And sometimes when Boston has it going and it's raining down, like you feel the weight of the momentum they're playing with. That is a battle-tested, deeply experienced, well-balanced roster that Philly is trying to contend with. This stuff, and I try very hard to convey this when we call games winning in the nba in playoff time is so difficult the intensity is almost palpable from the moment you touch the arena and uh and nba basketball is special it's just really really special and it's most special right now um so it'll be many things that the sixers have to do well um, and, and Joel is going to have to hold up and be brilliant, and, and James is going to have to play well, which I don't necessarily think means scoring 40. But I have really, really enjoyed watching the Sixers play defense when they are all locked in, when they are all active, when they have game plan discipline, when they're hitting the floor first. Like, that team has been fun to watch. The same can be said for the Boston Celtics. You know, that is a team that was number two in defensive efficiency, I believe, number two in offensive efficiency. Um, it's They're not going down without a fight. Uh, I will not at all in any way be shocked if this goes seven. Uh, so I literally, I cannot wait to watch five, and I feel completely honored to, to know that I'm going to be part of a broadcast team trying to, trying to do justice to what these men are giving us in terms of competition. And we are definitely 100% looking forward to your call of Game 6, which we are obviously all hoping is a Sixers win. Uh, but, Doris, thank you so much for, for hopping on today. We really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Paul.